biggest lesson for me was about self-love and yeah. learning to love myself because I spent many, many years loathing myself. Right. Um, so for me to be able to learn that I had to put myself first and, and, and they say that about a, a lot of cancer patients, that cancer patients are the, you know, the givers. They're the, the ones that um, don't put themselves first. And so... Yeah, you know, you, you do that as a woman, as a mum, you know, as a as a lover. So, you know, as a healer, as a conference organiser. Um, so it was really, really very much about I, I've, I've fallen in love with myself throughout this process. And the most monumental time for me to learn how important it was to put myself first was was when I had my near-death experience and, and this is when I come back to the, the, the phrase health consciousness when you get to the point where your own healing is is helping to heal the planet and healing humanity that is for me what health consciousness is about so recently you've had the tests and they've all come back completely clear and you are cancer according to mm -hmm. the allopathic model yeah yeah it's you know it's just a great relief it's a, it's a really good relief to get that that confirmation and, and just get just totally you got to accentuate the positive wow, I feel good a little bit of feel good goes a long way you're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another episode of Accentuate the Positive Media with me, Karen Swain. I just wanted to say thank you to people who have been donating to the show. I have to say, I've had the show on now for nearly nine years, first on community radio in the last few years, three or four years, podcasting on YouTube and iTunes and a few different places. And uh, I always forget to ask for donations. I know other people do on their podcast shows. So last time I did a show, I asked. And you know what? Ask and it is given. And people have started donating. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for donating to the show. It really helps to keep the show going. I do it out of a love and a passion for people and a passion for the conversations. And also to teach deliberate creation through other people's stories. You know, as a teacher of deliberate creation, I love talking about how we create our own reality. But I have a limited amount of stories. But when you talk to other people, there is an unlimited amount of stories out there <clears throat> that we can be inspired by and today is no exception. So I hope you enjoy the show and if you do want to make a donation, please make one at the PayPal uh, link which I have on the YouTube and iTunes videos or you can go to my website and make a donation or uh, buy the, the books on my affiliate link that also helps or sign up for a session, or join our inner sanctum. Many ways that you can support us as we support you. So yeah, thanks again. And running. Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. So great to be with you again. Well, we've got another miraculous healing story for you today. And the cat has turned up. She's decided, or he, it's a he actually, 
that he wants to be a part of this um, journey. So I'd like to introduce you to the wonderful and delicious and gorgeous Catherine Hand. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Oh, thank you, Karen. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Now, Catherine's been on the show before. I don't know how many years, probably three or four years ago, we were discussing hypnotherapy and life between lives and consciousness. So if you'd like to have, um, to have a look at that conversation, go to the website, go to ATP Media, and you'll see Catherine there under healing, I think, or consciousness or anyway, I'll put a link in underneath this, um, this recording. But let me tell you a little bit about Catherine because she's been on quite a journey. She's been on an amazing journey as we all are on our amazing journeys. But uh, Catherine's out there amongst all these amazing conscious people putting on events and doing incredible things. But she's had her own really personal healing journey, which we're going to go into today. So Catherine is a clinical hypnotherapist specialising in past life regression and life between life therapy. She started her career as a, in the high-powered world of investment banking. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> she was involved in communications, media and corporate aware, events for global companies in both Sydney and London. And now she organises consciousness events around the world as well as doing her own work as a hypnotherapist. Whilst reading Dr. Michael Newton's Journey of Souls, which I read years ago and loved as well, Catherine had a deeply profound experience which led her to ultimately fulfil her calling and make that life-changing career move into hypnotherapy to become a hypnotherapist. After being diagnosed with cancer, was it last year? Um, No, the year before that. Year before. Catherine discovered the importance of developing the health consciousness, which I love. Because, you know, we we go into uh, like enlightenment consciousness, but we have to also not negate or neglect this physical vehicle that we're driving. The day before she was scheduled to have a double mastectomy, Catherine intuitively felt that there had to be a better way of healing than having both breasts removed and um, experiencing chemotherapy. She cancelled the surgery and watched a documentary series called The Truth About Cancer. You watched that with your partner, Mick, right? Yeah. And this gave you hope for a giant leap of faith that you have taken to treat yourself in a more conscious and natural way. So that's what we're going to look into today. You know, do we have to do the chemotherapy when we're given the big C diagnosis or can we look at it a different way? But obviously your journey, you'd been surrounded by consciousness and conscious people and you'd done a lot of work yourself and heard a lot of people's stories doing past life and life between life uh, stories you know during your regression so you knew that it was all possible it was just putting it into practice in your own life right you're so right and that you know that was a big thing for me because despite all my training despite my belief that emotion is at the root of all disease and and the ability for the the you know the power of your body and and the mind body connection been so strong as a as a healing tool um when it came to the crunch and here i was sitting in a a doctor's office um being told that i had breast cancer and i and there was really no other option but to um get my breast removed you still i found myself still buying into it all and still being you know channeled into that whole system 
and going and having all the, the battalion of tests and seeing the surgeon and, and really believing that that was my only option and thinking, I've just got to do it. You're not alone, darling. You're not alone yeah. with that. I have seen that happen to so many people. You know, the allopathic, um, not to say that it's wrong, it's just another way. It's just another way. But that allopathic car consciousness is like this tidal this wave. <laughs> yeah, it's a tidal wave of energy that you get swept up in. Look, my mother, my daughter's stepmother died a few years ago of cancer and her mother had died of cancer and, um, at 49 and she wanted to resist it. But every single person around her told her, you have to do it this way or you're going to die. You have to do it. And she was completely pressured by everyone who loved her, who wanted to see her and thought that that was the only way. And I watched her struggle with that. You know, I watched her struggle with, this is not what I want to do. I don't feel to do this, but everyone's telling me to do it, so I'll do it. In the end, she left her body anyway. It took about four years. She was probably going to leave her body regardless of doing chemotherapy or not. You know, maybe that was her soul contract. Yeah. But, um, but then she just had four years of torture before she left her body, <laughs> which she could yeah. have had four years of, you know, enjoying life instead of the constant sickness through the chemotherapy in the morning. Exactly. And I think that's the thing. If you're going to go, you know, I know better than most people that if your contract's up, your contract's up. And if it's your time to leave, you will leave. And whether that's by chemotherapy or, or whether it's getting, you know, taken out by a bus as you, you walk out your front door. So why live life, you know, having all the terrible side effects of chemo um, and just live life to the fullest and to the best and do everything that you can to get your body in a really um, pristine state, a really healthy state rather than a state that's really um, immune, you know, affected and, and really struggling um, as is what happens when you, you, you take chemo. And, you know, you were saying that um, I, I, I start to now correct a lot of people when they say, oh, my my mum died of cancer, my auntie died of cancer, and I say um, they died of chemotherapy, <laughs> more likely. And, in fact, I just scribbled down um, a, a, an alarming thing. I was just doing um, a post for a, a, a group that I'm part of, and I came across this, um, this quote from 1991. Um, so we're talking, you know, how many years ago? 1991, Dr Albert Braverman wrote in a paper that he titled The Medical Oncology in the 90s. He said, most cancer patients in this country die of chemotherapy. He's talking about the US. Most, chemo, chemo, most cancer patients in this country die of chemotherapy. Chemotherapy does not eliminate breast cancer, colon, or lung cancer. This fact has been documented for over a decade, yet doctors still use chemotherapy for these tumours. And he was saying that in 1991. So since the 80s, it seems that they know that chemotherapy doesn't even work for those, those cancers. Um, and yet they're still using them. So. I, think, I think a lot of evidence is coming out now about that. It's a, lot, a lot of that evidence has been suppressed. And as you and I know, in the last few years, you know, the, the light packages hitting this 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 world it's actually happening throughout the cosmos 
is creating a different vibration and a lot of this suppressed information is coming to the surface. So, um, you know, studies about chemotherapy have been done for years and, and a lot of the information has been suppressed because it's, uh, it's just too, uh, you know, there's too much money being made. <laughs> uh, absolutely. That's what it's company. all about. Cancer is so rough across our planet. And this, this drug that they're giving people to, to alleviate it is um it's just a money spinner it's like there's just so much money to be made and and most of the statistics show that uh, pretty much 80 or 90 percent of people that are treated with it don't survive yeah uh, you know the statistics are alarming um but i guess we you know with anyone going through cancer or or any sort of treatment you have to come to that you have to come to that conclusion it, conclusion yourself it's really it's not about what we say it's really about having that faith within you which is which is what you went through right like when you've got that pressure around you and people saying i'm sorry Catherine, but this is the only way it's going to save your life if you don't do this you're yeah. going to die and they kind of put that fear inside you and um and then you've got to find you've got to find that strength within yourself to know to act on your knowing that's really what you did right Absolutely, because I was being pummeled in, in every which way by people all around me, my family. You know, I grew up in a, in a family where my father was a pharmaceutical sales rep. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> you, you know, we grew up as kids and we'd get the tiniest little sniff and oh, the codral cold tablets would come out. And, you know, we had a, a cabinet. I remember this grey cabinet in the garage and... He would open it up and every type of drug that you can imagine was there for every every ailment. And, you know, so there there was I, you know, trying to um, tell my family that I'm, I've said no to the, the mastectomy and, and no to the chemo and no to the radiation. And they were mortified. My, my auntie um, is married to a GP and... And I got a letter in the post and I opened up the, the letter and the first word said, you will die if you, if you treat cancer naturally. And, um, you know, I had friends just telling me I was doing the wrong thing. And so it's really, really hard to stand up to all of that and also just stand up to the conditioning because we believe that cancer is this, this horrible terrible rampaging disease that's going to eat us up and I had to get to the point where not only did I just accept that I had a, a cancer diagnosis or that I, I was given a cancer diagnosis that I, I also got to the point where I was so glad for it it became one of the best things that's ever happened to me and I think that everyone that I know who's going through the natural path of healing cancer because I'm in, in a couple of Facebook groups and, and we're all of that mindset now that this has been a, an amazing turnaround and lifestyle change and on every level, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we've all just grown so much. And, uh, you know, there's, there have been plenty of days that I wished that I wasn't in the middle of it, but the closer and closer you come out the other side, um, the easier it is to say... Oh, it's been amazing. I wouldn't change it. Um, and so, yes, you have to get to that mindset where you are grateful for it. And I'm very aware, of course, as a hypnotherapist, I'm already aware of how important language is. 
And I'm now noticing that when I hear other people say, you know, I'm this, this cancer, this horrid disease, and and I'm fighting cancer, and I'm and I'm winning against cancer, and I forget what a long way I've come because I see cancer as something that potentially is life-saving and life-giving because it, it's a massive wake-up call to say you're doing something wrong. There's something not working in your life and that's showing up in the physical and it's time to change. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's amazing to be able to get cancer. You know, there, there's so many worse diseases that you could, you could get. I look at some people that are, that are suffering from all sorts of things and I think, wow, I've had it easy. You know? yeah. I, know I could get taken out by a heart attack and, and you don't get that chance yeah. to actually turn your life around. So cancer you know, is a great opportunity to wake up and, yeah. and re... And, and the, you know the good thing about cancer is that cancer is so... We're so conditioned to fear cancer that it actually is a, a life stopper. So it's the one thing in life that you can actually, you can say to people, yeah, I'm healing cancer and I need to have some time out and they just give it to you. Yeah. But, you know, people who have fibromyalgia and, and um, you know, things like um, chronic fatigue or, or Crohn's disease or, or things that people aren't really that aware of, they mm -hmm. have to often go through life struggling in a different way because people don't sort of give them that space to heal. Mm. And in a funny way, getting cancer is the, is the way that people just back right off and go, <laughs> you can do whatever you want, you know. It's a, it's a little bit like when, you, when you're heavily pregnant and all of a sudden, you know, people just, is there anything I can do? How can I help you? And they just give you all that space to look after yourself and put yourself first. And so cancer gives you that opportunity. And it is the time to sit back and analyse everything. I've looked under every stone, you know, every rock, every dark little nook and cranny in my life over 18 months of, of the healing journey. I've, I've investigated it. So <laughs> you don't get to do that very often in your life. That's so true. It is. Cancer is the wake-up call of our um, generation or the generations before, of our time, really. Yeah, um, it is a massive wake-up call. It's so true. Everything that you say, it does give you that time out to just stop and and look at what's happening. Um, you know, I, I think you know my story. My mum died of cancer at fifty. Uh, it took her about five years, I think, from I think it was only about two years from diagnosis, but five years of being sick because no one knew what was wrong with her. And then when they, you know, gave her the diagnosis, they gave her six months, and she actually lasted two years. But the two years was. Um, just horrendous <laughs> of chemotherapy and radio. It was just that was is life changing for me to watch someone suffer so much. Yeah, life changing for me. It it woke me up, and I, I suspect it woke her up too. Even though she left her body, you know what she's doing with, uh, you know, her life now. It, it would be, it was greatly impacted by that. I would imagine. And, yeah. Um, it is the wake-up call. I'm just thinking of diseases in the past, you know, that used to be rife like polio and leprosy and all those things that when you go back in history and cancer has been, you know, of the last, I don't know, 150 years, it's been huge in Western, I suppose Western, I don't really know about Eastern society, but 
you know, I've, I've, uh, I've looked into this like you a lot and cancer is nothing to be feared when you look at what it does to the body and you look at how the cells don't communicate to each other. It's kind of like the body isolates the toxins and it doesn't communicate yeah. them with the rest of the body. So it creates this like tumorous lump. Sometimes it's benign, sometimes malignant, sometimes it's growing, sometimes it's not. That is not communicating with the rest of the body. So it's actually a way of trying to isolate an area that is, um, is not, um, you know, it's not um, good for the whole system. Sometimes that isolation is in the immune system which means it's everywhere these little you know lumps are everywhere so you can see it rather than something to fight you can see it as something to be grateful for like the body is actually trying to you know help you yeah absolutely i'm in awe of our, our bodies now you know I'm, I'm so in awe of what our bodies do to keep us alive and really yeah. we're, we're pretty clueless you know we're, we're very clueless about how how complex and how intelligent our bodies are and the innate the innate healing wisdom that you know that will get us through what we need to get through just giving it giving our body the best environment and you know the fact is we all have cancer cells all the time everyone has cancer cells it's 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 like you say it's the body protecting you and trying to get some you know collect the toxins in one part of your body and sort of warehouse it when you think about it it's brilliant it's and of course it's brilliant our bodies are brilliant you couldn't no man could could design a machine as incredible as our human bodies yeah that you're so right it, you know what's really interesting that's how i woke up that was my um initiation into what i now call god is studying anatomy and physiology when i was a naturopath was when I studied the work, like how the body works, and still my learned teachers were saying, well, this happens, but we're not really sure how that happens, and this happens. Well, we're not really, there was so much, if there, was, there was so much I didn't know about how the body worked, because consciousness was not involved in this conversation, obviously. Yeah. It was all sort of like, you know, physical chemicals and structure and stuff like that. But when I saw how incredible the body is, especially when I did endocrinology, uh, embryology, looking at the development of a, the fetus in the uterus like a child like making a human being i thought oh my god i just thought who designed this yeah like, so beyond our puny human minds like yeah who, what intelligence who what so coming from that sort of agnostic atheist background i'm thinking there is some intelligence out there that the body holds that I know nothing about. I need to. Yeah. Do, I need to chummy up to this intelligence because it knows a lot of stuff. <laughs> it does. It really does, and that's that's that is why um, you can't treat cancer doing any conventional. I believe you can't treat cancer effectively doing any conventional treatment because the more that you have that sort of intervention, the the more that intervention stuffs up what our, our body's meant to do. So even, you know, I was really surprised at the number of, of light workers and healers and and even naturopaths would still advise me, even my holistic doctor, my, my GP totally abandoned me. She didn't want to have anything to do with me once I said that I, I was um, opting out of conventional treatment. So mm. I found a, a holistic doctor 
who was beautiful, but she's still trained in that way. And I don't know whether she felt that she had to advise me just to, you know, be seen to be doing the right thing or whether she still genuinely believes it. But she still advised me to have a mastectomy. And a lot of, a lot of people that are, are, you know, sort of healers still were saying, oh, well, why don't you just remove your breast and then the cancer's gone and then you can go with your natural approach from then on. Mm. Well, thank God I didn't listen to them because, you know, what I now know is that even surgery um, is, of course, removing the lump. So the lump that's there saving my life um, is, is, is the, the process of healing. And if I had removed that lump, removed my breast, removed the lump, um, then my body's not been able to do what it's designed to do. And you're then stepping in and um, causing a, a disruption of the healing process. And of course, the, the, the problem is that once you cut out the, you know, you remove the lump, then the, the, the cancer will pop up in all other places. And that's often what then ends up killing people. So, um, you know, the, you can't, I believe there's no such thing as integrative oncology because any of those, you know, conventional treatments of surgery, the chemotherapy, I mean, look, it's getting to the point where almost everyone that, that does any little research can discover how um, ineffective chemotherapy is. I mean, the number of people that it's killing is phenomenal. Um, so, you know, a lot of, uh, certainly most of your, um, your listeners will know that chemotherapy is not very good, but a lot of people don't realise that it's actually not that great to have surgery either, particularly if it's, you know, if it's, if it's a, a, a life-saving surgery where, you know, it's constricting a particularly large tumour that might be constricting an organ, you know, maybe that could be different, but certainly not to remove your breasts, you know, that there's really no benefit in doing that. Um, and of course, radiation is just creating <laughs> that radiation is just giving them more customers, you know, for another eight years down the track. So radiation is just pointless. I don't even understand why they would consider doing radiation. Well, I have to say, consciousness is such a powerful thing. And having been looking into this since I was 15, 14, really, even 12 when mum got sick uh, and thinking about this for a long time. What I've come to know is that whatever you believe uh, and know in your heart, that's, that's, that's how, what's going to happen for you because we get to create all of it. So the allopathic treatments are pretty torturous, but yeah. some people believe that no pain, no gain. You know, that's a rife, yes. that is a rife con a thought form that's in our consciousness. It's like if I, if I want to get well or get better or be successful or have what I want, I have to struggle. I have to be like, you know, if I, if I want to look good, I have to go to the gym and put myself in a lot of pain in order, you know, no pain, no gain, you've got to work harder. And so, and so the allopathic model lines up with that, that thought form, you know, we're just going to torture you for a while with some drugs and all your hair's going to throw up and you're going to feel like you want to die. But, you know, the worse you feel means that it's going to fix you. And, and that's a consciousness that we buy into. And if you've bought into that, then, you know, maybe you'll get better using that treatment. But I think as we move into a new way of being on this earth, which is more about ease and grace, as we move into the fourth and fifth dimensions of consciousness, 
then we see that we're the creator of our reality and it totally flips that on its head and it's like the better you feel the more you heal like the better you feel the more you heal and the better you feel the more powerful you are to create what you want whether that is health in your body or you know shifting the consciousness of humanity or enlightening the universe or getting more money or a lover or whatever it is that you're focused on that you believe that you want the better you feel the more powerful you are at having that so so yeah that sort of totally hits the old third dimensional paradigm on its head of um, no pain no gain absolutely and you know that, that this is what I've, I've often said it's a really a testament to the healing you know healing ability healing power of our bodies that anyone survives it because really you, you, you may as well plug yourself up to um, battery acid and, and you know it's the same pH level chemotherapy is the same pH level as battery acid so the fact that anyone survives that goes to to demonstrate how you know how powerful we are as healers that we can heal we can survive having that poison pumped into us I agree and people some people do survive it there, there's certainly a mindset that you know if you if you if that person in the white coat says to do this do that and do that and they are believing that there's as strong a placebo effect as someone who who's told that you know some herb you know from the virgins pick in the himalayas or whatever will yeah. help too absolutely so, it's know, where you put your faith your trust exactly you might put it in the doctor or the white coat or the herb or you yeah. might put it in your own ability to feel better i mean yeah. where you put your faith your trust that's where where it goes and, and most people's faith is in the white coat you're right even though doctors don't really wear white coats in general practice these days but um yeah yeah it's where you put your faith into i mean i i know so many stories of people have gone over to see john of god to heal and they've come yeah. back and they've decided to, to to do chemotherapy simply because that's where their faith is that's where their trust is yeah um, they go and they try all this energetic and spiritual healing but they really don't have their faith there they think yeah. it might work but they trust the allopathic model better so yeah it's interesting isn't it yeah and when people say to me you know um, what's my advice? What what do you need to do to heal cancer? Um, I can't again. I can't say do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I'm no different to a doctor. Um, and if you really believe that your body can't heal, or that you don't have a belief that our bodies are designed to heal, then you, you may as well go and get your boobs chopped off. Um, mm. Because you, you again, it comes down to um, having having an acceptance and a, an understanding about how our bodies do heal and and how powerful we are as healers. And you know, if you can't get into that mindset, then I think that yeah, maybe that you know, look, I I would never recommend to anyone really to go and do it. I would say start. You know, the most important thing is that you feel that you've got time to um, to empower yourself and look into some research because the, the the routine that every single cancer patient goes through is that one minute they discover that they are diagnosed with cancer and the next minute they're in they're in hospital having surgery or they're they're hooked up to chemo and, and having and radiation. It happens so quickly 
that you don't actually have the time to make the choice and get educated. It's it's so interesting. Brandon Bays, you know, who to um, does the journey work. I think she calls it the journey method now. I think she's in Australia at the moment, or she was last week. Oh. Um, she, you know, her story is very similar. I met Brandon in, in um, 2000 and, uh, sorry, 1994 or five, I think, and knew her before she'd started her journey work, knew her okay. and, um, and, and, and saw her story. And, you know, her story was the same. She was a health practitioner. She was like you. She was already on the path, you know, doing the work, doing the meditation and the yoga and the, like, I'm not, but cancer, as you say, was that gift for her that just took that that she just dove like into the abyss, like took her, took her to those places she never thought she would go. But her, she was at the doctor and she had this tumour on her uterus or down there somewhere. It was like the size of a... Cantaloupe. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Watermelon. Exactly, cantaloupe. And um, basketball. And the doctor said, you're going, you're, you're, I've scheduled in for surgery this afternoon. Like gave her no time to think about it. And she spent a good hour or two arguing in the doctor's office for some time. How much time can you give me? She said, none. She said, you know, give me two weeks, give me two weeks, give me two weeks. And um, long story short, within that two weeks, she had made um, some some changes to, like there was a change to the mass. Instead of it being rock solid, it was now more fluid. And so I went back to the doctor and then the doctor seeing the change in the the viscosity of the the tumour said, okay, well, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to give you more time, but as you say, doctors don't give you time to actually think about what's happening to you. So, no. to anyone who's you know going through this, you know, take that time, take that time. Exactly, because as my naturopath said to me, um, you know, it's taken eight years for your tumor to get to a size where they can find it on a scan. Exactly. You know, eight to ten years. So, what is the rush? Why yeah. do they want to rush you into surgery and chop your boobs off within a week of, of getting yeah. the diagnosis? Yeah. Mainly because of our conditioning. We're so fearful of cancer that people go into massive amounts of fear and right. that, of course, just puts the body into a, a big state of, of stress and, and acidosis. You're totally creating a, 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 a perfect environment then for the cancer to, to grow. So, you know, what they should be saying is that um, you know, you've, you've got plenty of time, go away and think about it, research, there might be other things that you want to do. That's what they should be doing in an ideal world. But of course, they know that if you walk away and go and start digging around and finding out that there's actually plenty of, of natural cancer cures, um, that you're not going to go back and voluntarily, you know, go through everything that they want to submit you you know, submit you to. So that's why they don't give you that, you know, the, the luxury of time because they want to get, they want another customer. Well, well, I have to say, I think that a lot of doctors, like I've had a lot of doctors on the show, ex-doctors, um, they have a good intent as much as any healer or natural healer or spiritual healer or psychic reader does. You know, they have the same intent to want to help it. And they get as swept up in the allopathic model as anybody else. Yeah, and, they're trained. And, and, yeah. yeah, and their, you know, their reality is, and the peer pressure on them to maintain their reality 
is that model that if you don't go into surgery and have you're gonna die but you know what I do with this show and Catherine you do the same thing because you put on the afterlife explorers conference and you put on the you know um, the ET conferences and you put on the cosmic consciousness you know you're putting on all these conscious these conferences with all these amazing conscious speakers and healers is that death is nothing to be feared. You know, that is such, because that's what they hit you with. If you don't do this, you're going to die. And imagine if somebody goes, oh, really? I'm so looking forward to death. That wouldn't, pro- that wouldn't be a problem. You know, that totally knocks that fear on its head. The fear of death is the most, I think it underpins every fear we have. You know, hence I put the book out, Awakened by Death, because If you're not afraid to die, then you can sit back and relax and say, okay, well, if I've got two months, six months, eight, you know, eight months, two years, four years to live, what do I want to do with the rest of my time until I exit the matrix and go somewhere else? You know, I mean, it's just, you don't get swept up in that fear conversation that the doctors like to, you know, put you inside of. You don't get swept up in the fear, false evidence. Yeah. 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 So... Yeah, that's what everyone needs to know. It's like, okay, so I'm going to die. That's cool. Oh, well, that'll be fine. What will I do before I go? <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. You may as well make it count. You know, yeah, you, make it count. Cancer's going to take you out. Make it count. Why be yeah. lying in bed, miserable and, and sick, and your hair falling out, and yeah. and everything else? And I didn't. I certainly didn't want my son to see me in that state. And and yeah. the thing that constantly surprised people that I, you know, I'd bump into other mums at the at the supermarket or at school pickup and and you know I think they they would always be most shocked that I looked so well and I looked so normal and healthy and and people would expect to see me you know lying in bed and and people would say to me you know I remember bumping into one one mum in Coles and she said I, I you know you're not having any treatment and I said oh I'm not having any conventional treatment and she said so you're not treating the cancer. And I went, yeah, I'm treating the cancer, but you're not having chemo. No, I'm not having chemo. And she couldn't wrap her head around the fact that there's a lot of other choices besides what everyone thinks is the only thing to do. And, um, you know, so, yeah, the, 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 you, you, I just decided if I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And by no means did, did I want to. I mean, I used every... Um, you know, every ounce of will that I had available to me to make sure that I survived, you know, because I didn't want to leave my son. You know, mm. he, he's, he was nine and, and I, I did not want to leave him. It's not, you know, for me it was not my, my um, choice to leave him without his mum in this physical world. Mm. Um, so partly I, I was driven by the fact that I wanted to... Um, be here for him but I also wanted to be here still still present in his life still being able to function in his life and um you know that's that's very hard to do when when you're being pumped by chemo and I also wanted to teach him that you can heal your body so that was another really important driver for me to be able to say to him you know, this is what we do. We can, our bodies can heal. They're designed to heal. And I'd been teaching him that since he was very, very little himself. And mm. from from day dot, as long as I can remember, I taught him that his body's an amazing healing machine. And when he he actually got his finger chopped off when he was four, 
I got oh. chopped off in a door. It was terrible. I was oh. there, you know. With, what, the tip of it? Yeah, from his um, uh, knuckle up, that, that that little tip got cut off in a door. Oh. And um, and so they, they had to do microsurgery to reattach the finger in a nail bed reconstruction. And I oh. took him back for his first visit after they'd done the surgery. And the doctor said, wow, I can't believe how well this is healed. You don't even have to come back for another visit. It's just healed so well. And, and, and I'm sure that part of that was because I always told him that he was such a, a great healer. Right. Um, and so I thought, I can't, I can't now turn around and show him something that's totally at odds with that. I have got to show him now that I'm, you know, I'm walking proof that our, our that our bodies can heal. So absolutely, you know, <laughs> that was absolutely, really, it really, you know, it really makes you walk your talk, right? It's not. Yeah. We're not just talking about this or putting people in hypnosis and having them talk about it. We're really going to demonstrate what we're all talking about. Yeah. Um, how old is he now? It's about eleven, isn't he? Almost eleven. Almost eleven. Same age as another friend of mine's son, and. Um, I was at her place on the weekend and she was saying, listen to the conversation my son said with me the other day. He said, you know, mum, and he doesn't think about this sort of stuff. Like he's not really immersed in, in this like your son is. But he's like, if bad energy makes you sick, then surely you can sort of evoke some sort of positive energy that would make you better, you know. Like if everyone's angry and there's all this bad energy, surely you can change that and have more positive energy. Like he's having this conversation with her in the car on the way to soccer. <laughs> She's going... Did you come up with that all by yourself? And he's saying, yeah, I'm just thinking about it. God bless these kids, you know. They're so switched on, aren't they? Aren't they? This Amazing. Is so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, and your little man is just exactly the same. He's such a beautiful little thing. Uh, okay, so we haven't actually gone into your story. So 18 months ago, you get diagnosed with breast cancer and the doctors give you two seconds to make a decision to have a double mastectomy. Is that what they did? Yeah, pretty much. And then, and then you said, well, actually, you, you, you scheduled the, the, the operation, right? I did, yeah. I really believed the hype. You know, I really bought into the story that if I didn't have it, it would, it would spread and, and you know, I, I would die. So I thought I've, I've just got no other choice but to do it. And um, it, it really got to the, the day. Luckily, I had... Um, I had remembered this story that I'd heard about a, a, a guy who was an EFT practitioner because I'm an EFT practitioner myself. Mm -hmm. and, um, but, of course, at that moment, in, in, in all the panic and fear and racing to have you know, all the scans and everything they were putting me through, I don't think I did a, a, a moment of EFT. I was just so caught up in all the panic and the fear and everything. Mm -hmm. um, but... You know, luckily in my head, this story popped up from my, my memory bank that another EFT practitioner, his mum had got a, a brain cancer um, diagnosis. And so he had sat his mum down and said, right, we're not leaving here until we have tapped everything, you know, out of you to get rid of this, this brain tumour. And he, they, apparently they sat there and they tapped, you know, almost day and night for four days. And, and she just had, you know, breakthroughs and, and breakdowns and, and <laughs> lots of transformation that, that happened in those four days and nights. And um, anyway, the next time she went back to have a scan, there was you know, no, no evidence of the tumour. 
And so that story was in my mind. And so there was a part of me saying, I've got the tools to be able to do this, um, but I just hadn't got into that, that headspace yet. But, um, yeah. you know, so I'd spent a, a, the last couple of days before leading up to the surgery and I had tried to stall the surgery. I tried to buy myself time, um, but the, the oncologist just, you know, still was like absolutely hell-bent on getting me in and was ringing the surgeon, booking me in while I was sitting in my office, sitting in her office, um, so it was all just unfolding so rapidly and I was just mm. carried away in the, in the storm of it. Um, but yeah, it just, it, I got to the, the, the day before the surgery and literally it was like my body was just putting the brakes on it and I couldn't imagine myself walking into that hospital and, and voluntarily saying, okay, here we are, remove my breasts, you know, and I, I just every cell in my body was was saying no 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 don't do it. And at that point, you know, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't I didn't have any background in sort of a, a you know the, the importance of food and, and diet and, and um, nutrition and all that sort of thing. I didn't have you know the natu naturopathy background that you do. Um, so I didn't I didn't have much clue about herbs and, and supplements and food and, and all that sort of thing. In fact, I really didn't know how important food is. Like I can look back now and say I was, I was as clueless as most of the other people out there when it comes to food and nutrition and, and that sort of thing. So um, once, I, once I actually decided I am not having that surgery and, and I've got my, my very brave sister to ring up and cancel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to, regardless. Yeah. Um, I, I just, my whole body just kind of went, oh, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I knew that I could tap. I knew that I could sit there and tap. I have a girlfriend who's an EFT practitioner as well. And um, so for people who don't know what EFT is, it's this tapping sort of like a, you know, if you see people doing this tap, I've seen them in public, you know, at the beach, there'll be people do, and you think, what the hell are they doing? But <laughs> it, <laughs> it, the tapping is actually a way of getting you out of that conch, that, that logical mind that's going around and around in circles and worrying about things. It kind of, it puts you, it puts you in your body. It puts you in your intuitive mind. It's sort of, it puts you in your subconscious too. It gets you connected to your subconscious. And oh, it's yeah. very powerful. It's very powerful. And and I then did pretty much what what I'd read this this guy had done. And and I got my my girlfriend over and and we sat there and 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 just tapped and tapped and yeah. tapped. And I went back to the day that I was born. Right. You know, we just tapped on so much. And and that really. Um, and as you said, you know, Nick and I just. Um, got out the truth about cancer and mm -hmm. so to be able to see other people and hear testimonials from other people who used frankincense oil or um, or cannabis or I just started to go wow there's a whole world of natural healing cancer that I, I didn't know about so as well as being able to do things like hypnotherapy and EFT yeah. which I knew would be very very beneficial and, and a, a, a key you know the to be able to get down and, and like the journey, um, to be able to get to the emotional root of, of what is causing the cancer, um, of course, is, is absolutely paramount. But, yeah. of course, in the, in the process, I discovered 
that you can have, you know, um, apricot seeds and, and black salve, you know. Um, there's just so many other things to do. And, of course, you know, I went uh, organic. I, I learned very quickly how important it is to be organic and get rid of all the chemicals. And, um, I, you know, I bought a filter and got the fluoride out of my water. I, I, um, I stopped wearing a bra. Just even I learned about how the congestion of our bras, you know, we... We hear quite a lot about how important it is for men to let their testicles be free and not be cooped up in tight docks all day. But it's the same for our breasts as well. And so even I even um, learned that there's some people that believe that the underwire in our bra, with all the the EMF that the that we're constantly surrounded in everywhere we go now, the underwire in our bra is is um thought to sort of be acting like a little transmitter and actually attracting um, more of that, you know, electrical um, energy that's around us, you know, to, and of course my tumour um, was right at the side where, where your underwire wow. is. So is that, is that a contributor? I don't know. You know so interesting that you say that. I, um, yeah, look, when you study the electrical component of the body, like your body is full of electricity, right? Yeah. And metal is a conductor of electricity. So whenever yeah. you put any sort of metal on you or in you, it breaks that flow of electricity. Not to say that that's going to harm you or make you sick. It just breaks the flow of energy in your body. And so the underwire or any metal you have is going to break that flow. It's going to interrupt that flow of electrical impulse in your body. I mean, there are people who have metal hips and things like that, and that's going to do the same thing. It's not, it's not a cause of illness, but if you are looking at optimal health, then maybe you want to reconsider wearing... I find I, I don't wear any metal on my body much anymore. You know, I'll, I put a ring on for the first time. I haven't even had any rings on for like months. And I just thought this morning, I haven't worn any rings for a while. It just, it's, a, it's an intuitive thing that I don't, and I don't, I try not to wear the underwire in the bra either. I have to say you look a lot better when you do wear the underwire. <laughs> but I don't yeah. stop it all altogether because I know it's not going to kill me or make me sick. It's just it's going to interrupt that. Uh, electrical current and um yeah the body's full of electricity just things to consider uh, uh, well, yeah it, and this is why eft is so so important because it does help to to move the energy around in your body yeah and, and same as the the wire you know that the fact is that you know out of all the detox things that that i went through and that i think it's important for our bodies to do in this day and age with all the chemicals all the pesticides, the chemtrails, the fluoride, you know, we're bombarded with so many toxic, um, you know, so so many toxic agents everywhere we go, with what we consume, with what we put on us, you know, just putting makeup on. So everything that you can do to detox and get rid of all of that is is good. And, and you know, letting things like, you know, letting your, your, yourself be bra free for as long as you can. You know, I used to be someone that, because I'm quite big busted, I was someone that wore a bra to bed. I went through years where I just wore my bra to bed because I thought, you know, I want to keep my, my boobs perky. And so, there's, you know, obviously there's a lot of things, but the biggest thing that you have to detox is your emotional wounds and all Absolutely. those things that you're still holding on to. And, and this is where EFT is the biggest detoxer um, to move that energy. And, and, of course, you know, when you look at where... The tumor is in your body, you know, whether it is in your breast or is it in your stomach, is it 
wherever it is, that's going to give you a really good clue about where do you need to start working and what emotional wounds are you still holding on to. Well, let's go into that because that's something I wanted to just uh, to talk about, you know, the consciousness around breast cancer because breast cancer is such a rife um, you know, diagnosis in our society. One even, in eight women. One in eight women. Even uh, Olivia Newton-John, you know, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She came out and said, you know, believe it or not, you see me as the superstar singer doing what I love and having this delicious life. I was still one of these people who worried about everyone else more than myself. Yeah. And she said that she, and I've watched you do this too, Catherine. I, I watched you do this. She said, that she was so concerned about the welfare of everyone else around her that even though she was like mega famous and, and living her dream, she really wasn't nurturing or looking after herself as much as she could. And that breast cancer diagnosis totally hit, you know, the sledgehammer moment. It's like it's all very well and good to be there for others and nurture and look after everybody else. But, you know, you've got to look after this physical vehicle because yeah. without it, you're not here. So... I watched you do that when you started putting, you know, I would say that you're one of these women that is a, is a natural born nurturer anyway. And then that, you know, pushed you into healing and wanting to help people. But when you started putting on the conferences, when you started helping out Mick and, and watching you deal with all the personalities and egos involved, you know, it's all about me, 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 my talk, my bio, me, me, me. And then you're dealing with all these personalities. <laughs> And then watching you at the conferences and everyone's upset about this and trying to look after everybody and kind of not, you know, looking after yourself first. I think that that consciousness of the breast cancer really sort of showed you about that, didn't it? Oh, that was my biggest lesson. Yeah. Out of all of this, the biggest lesson for me was about self-love and yes. learning to love myself because I spent many, many years loathing myself. Right. Um, so for me to be able to learn that I had to put myself first and, and, and they say that about a, a lot of cancer patients, that cancer patients are the, you know, the givers, they're the, the ones that um, don't put themselves first. And so, yeah, you know, you, you do that as a woman, as a mum, you know, as a, as a lover. So, you know, as a healer, as a conference organiser, um, so it was really, really very much about I, I've, I've fallen in love with myself throughout this process. And um, the, the, biggest, the biggest moment um, that got me to that point, I mean, I had lots of little pieces along the way, little by little, daily, daily little moments of, of, of growing but the, the most monumental time for me to learn how important it was to put myself first was, um, was when I had my near-death experience. And I went through, I felt like I went through a whole series of, of tests that were designed to make me understand that I had to put myself first. And it was, it was really at that moment that, I got the lesson absolutely like <laughs> a, a, a smack to the head. But yeah, the head. I, so tell us about your near-death experience. What happened? <sighs> well, look, I, I don't know what got me to that point. It was, there was a whole, a whole bunch of things that led up to it when I look back on it now. I had been going through some fairly intensive healing. Wow. I'd been doing some fasting 
Um, I'd, I'd been on the Rife machine. So you probably know about the Rife machine. No. It's, um, it's, it's sound frequency. Right. And it's, um, it's, it's technology is about 100 years old, but it's, it's becoming quite um, popular again. And, and so you sort of hook yourself up to this machine and it, it finds out the frequency of your, your lump your cancer and then it helps um, emit a frequency that helps to break that up and so you can quite quickly kill off a whole lot of cancer cells and so you need to be in a, a position where you can you're really good to detox and get it out of you mm-hmm. um, and so I had been you know I've been fasting I've been doing the rife machine I, I, I in that week before this occurred I'd seen my my um, my uh, acupuncturist, my chemo, uh, my chiropractor, and my kinesiologist. I'd been fasting and been doing the Rife machine, and so um, I started just to feel a little bit sick. And, and I don't know if you remember, maybe when was it? Just over a year ago, Sydney got hit by that flu, and everyone was going down with a really bad flu, and um, so I started to feel a bit sick and thought that I'd maybe you know had the flu um but of course i'd been detoxing as well so i thought it could be that but all of a sudden i i just sort of rapidly declined and i i I woke up early in the hours of the morning now interestingly as a little side note i at the at the time i wasn't aware of it but it was lionsgate and um I had woken up in the early hours of the morning and I felt like I was literally battling dark forces. I, 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 I had a sense of black eels um, coming out of me. I had a, a sense of these sort of black ant sort of cockroach things just marching and scurrying everywhere. And I really felt like I was battling these dark things. And, and it, you know, I, I, I just felt exhausted and drained. and. I really felt that my life force was sort of leaving my body mm-hmm. at, at one level. But at another level, I was thinking, I'll wake up, I'll go back to sleep, I'll, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And and I did. And I sort of went back to, to sleep feeling really, you know, just, I can't, I can't explain it except to say that I felt so drained, like my life force, there wasn't much life force left in my body. and. I, I then woke up again. The next thing I knew, um, my son was was you know there at the end of the bed, and he was he was had got himself ready for school, and um, and I sort of thought I'm not feeling good at all, and I started to wonder if I'd had a stroke because I I felt like I, I didn't know if my body would actually do what I what what I was wanting it to do. I didn't know if I could speak and and be heard and. Um, and, and it was a massive effort to actually to get words out. And, and eventually I said to my son, um, can you hear me? And he looked at me and he said, yeah. <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling very well. And I think he could sort of look at me and sense that I really wasn't feeling very well. And, um, and then the next thing, um, he he called Mick. Now that this is where the the, the lesson for me started to kick in. Right. So it was you know at seven about quarter to eight in the morning. He was taking his son to school. 
in peak hour traffic. So even though I, I was feeling really, really, really bad and, and it was starting to occur to me that I might be dying. Um, <laughs> you still I took still, your son to school. <laughs> no, no, I couldn't get out of bed and do that. I wasn't at that point. But I was still kind of thinking, oh, you know, am I being melodramatic here? Um, am I just making a, a you know, it, you know, you know that feeling where you kind of think, I don't want to make a fuss out of nothing. But yeah. yet the another part of me was thinking, I'm not, I'm not doing well here. Right. And so I kind of thought, I can't ring, you know, I can't get Nick back at, at, at that time of morning. It's, he's got to get his son to school and it's terrible traffic. And so there's still that part of me putting him first yeah. and not myself. And, yeah. um, and so very quickly then, after I decided not to bother him, I then really um, just went downhill, like in the matter of, of, of I don't know, 10 minutes. I, I don't know. I had lost all control of, of, of sort of dimensions and knowing what time it was and all that sort of thing. But very rapidly I went downhill. And then I realised I'm, I'm leaving my body. I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. And at that point the only important thing was to make sure that that Mick was back, that um, Taz had someone with him when I passed. And so I just knew that I had to hang on. And, and by then, Taz had, had rung Mick and said, you've got you to um, come over. You know, mummy's not very well at all. Um, so I, I was then out of it again. And then the next thing I knew, Mick was just sitting by me, holding my hand, and um, he'd call my parents and my sister. So I knew that... that you know, things weren't good. But I was just relieved that he was there, that Tasleen was going to have someone there. Um, and I, I I really didn't know what dimension I was in. I didn't quite know where I was. I, I had no real concept of time. I, I kept thinking that I was saying things, but nobody could hear me. And I'd say, every time I'd say, can you hear what I'm saying? And someone would say, yes. I'd go, oh, <laughs> they can hear me. It was it was just a you really sure if you're in the body or out of the body. I really didn't know where I was, yeah. and um, but yet they were all thinking that I was in, in incredibly weak, and physically I was. I was very very weak. You know, Mick was just passing me sips of water, and I mean I couldn't really sit up, and and I was I was talking a lot. I was actually talking a lot. Um, but, you know, I remember at one point Mick, Mick got a, a friend of ours on the phone and I, I sort of talked away and I was telling her all these things I can't even remember now, but all these things that I thought were very vitally important to tell her. And Mick, Mick's sitting there with the phone on a loudspeaker and, and after, you know, five or ten minutes of me just, you know, with this stream of consciousness, she just said, I can't understand a word that she's saying. And, right. and yet Mick was being out, you know, was able to understand me. And um, so he'd lost his mum only about six or eight weeks before. Mm -hmm. And he'd sat there and held her hand while she had died. And so he, he was thinking, I can't believe that I'm going through this again with Catherine. And, of course, every logical part of him wanted to call an ambulance and get me to hospital. Because, you know, he's paramedic trained. He, he just thought, you're, you're about to die. I can't just let you sit here and die without doing something. And what and stopped him? Me. Well, so this is where this next thing kicked in where I thought, I am not going to hospital. I am not. I'm, I, I, I'm, I was adamant that I didn't want to go to hospital because I thought if they get me 
once I get they get me into a hospital, God knows what they'll do to me. And I knew then that I would lose all control of, of being able to do what I had to do. And I was adamant that, that I wasn't going to go to the hospital. But what's interesting is that it was the outcome wasn't that important. The, what was important to me was that I was demanding to be heard and I was demanding to have my needs met above anyone else's. And, of course, so you've got Mick sitting there going, I've got to call an ambulance for you. And then my parents turn up and my dad comes in going, you've got to call an ambulance for her. And I'm telling Mick, you've got to stand up to him. And every one of these challenges for me was actually a challenge on a much higher level. I was, I felt like I was going through a past life review. Karmic, absolutely karmic, absolutely, absolutely. So it was, and I could see the dynamics of of all these other lifetimes all playing out in that one moment, all overlaying and, and in this room of people that, you know, my parents and my sister and my son and, and, you know, my partner and all the ways that that interacts. It was I'm getting such phenomenal. a powerful yeah. sense of your your wishes, your desires are to be honoured. Oh, I'm getting yes. so many past lives where that was not, that, that those desires were not on, just culminating in that one point, coming together. Yeah, Ooh, exactly. So I, to, to me, honest. I had crystal clear clarity. I felt stronger and more empowered and more sure and had such such clarity about what had to happen and what had to occur, I was feeling absolutely fine. I was feeling so fine and so so um, sure about everything, but I could also sense all their fear and all their yeah. panic. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, but I, I missed this interesting. Was Taz there? Was Taz Lane there? Yeah. yeah. Taz is your son. So Mick's yeah. partner, Taz the son, uh, just for people who are a bit confused, because when you don't yeah. know, you hear these names like, who's that? Who's that? Yeah. <laughs> so this was really interesting, Karen, because while we were waiting for Mick to arrive, before Mick got there, um, Tasleen sat down on my bed and he, he, he said to me, um, do you want me to tell you about the stages of ascension? And it occurred to me my son is preparing me to go. He's actually oh preparing God. me to, to go home now. And, and that sort of brought some peace to me. And, 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 um, and so I said to him, yes, and he started, you know, telling me the stages of ascension. I've got it on, um, I've got him re- telling it again to Mick. Mick started recording things when he thought that I was checking out and about to go. And he actually got Mick, uh, he actually got Taz to tell the story on tape and, and I'll have to listen to it again because I've now forgotten what he said. But the next, that what was really important was that just as I'm thinking, okay, he's giving me the, the, the um, he's preparing me to go now. He's giving me the, the signs of, of um, you know, the stages of ascension and he's, he's helping me to, to be okay and accept it. And then the next thing he said after that was he said, but would you like me to tell you about a game I made up and it's called Stay With Me? And I said, yeah. So he said, all you have to do is reach out and grab my hand and, and, and say, stay with me. And I thought, wow, here he is. He's a master sitting on my bed. He is, I did not see him as a nine-year-old. I saw him as this master teacher. 
and he's giving me the choice now. He's actually giving me the tools to choose. And so I grabbed his arm and I said, stay with me. And in that moment, he sort of, you know, this, the nine-year-old boy came back and he said, like, mummy, what are you doing? And, um, and then I was out again. You know, I, I don't remember what happened after that. And the next thing, Nick was sitting there at my bed. And so, um, yeah, so he was just incredible. So during this um, near-death experience, you just had this sensation of being in and out of your body simultaneously. Like you didn't actually, did you leave and go to another place and talk to people or? I, the, the most, the person that I spoke to the most was Mick's higher self. And so um, I, I was saying to him, I can, I can see the most beautiful bubble and the veil is thinner than a piece of ice and it is absolutely beautiful. But I wasn't there yet. I could see it. Um, I could have chosen it. Um, but I, again, I was choosing to stay. And, and what I was doing was I was choosing, I was choosing to get Mick to help me. And I, and I could see him as a, 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 a transparent thing with with gold energy and I, I actually yeah and i actually like us our energy we were like a a, a gel capsule if you can imagine just yeah, a yeah. with the two capsule, different sides the two different sides and yet the gold energy was flowing between us and so i could see so i'm sort of communicating to his high self telepathically yeah. and 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 physically as well and but what was important was that I had to just keep on getting him to meet my demands. And so you can imagine my father is demanding that, that Mick calls an ambulance and Mick didn't because he's trying to honour me. So my father stomps off in a, in a fit of, of anger to ring an ambulance and I had to then get Mick to go after and chase him and say, do not ring the ambulance. Oh, and That would and have been so, a really huge karmic um huge decision for mick as well yeah it was very hard it was wow. very challenging for him and he wow. did it and from that moment then my parents sort of backed off um and and mick said i you know like i could see that when he was doing things making decisions from his heart his gold energy would rise wow. and when he was listening to his head logic or his, his fear with his fear, mm -hmm. his, his gold would deplete. Right. And so I was trying to describe this to him and and in the end, you know, he said to me, I've got to get you to a hospital, I've got to ring an ambulance. And I said, do you think there's anyone else on this planet that could be looking after me better than you right now? And he just sort of got it in that moment and he said, okay. And then he sort of just abandoned the whole ambulance thing and then he just went with me and he had to give in to the feminine you know he had to just totally surrender to me and I could see it but he couldn't you know so he's flying blind and I'm directing him to what to do to save me and keep me in my body telling him step by step can you hold the energy can you pull it in can you feel it and I just had to keep saying to him can you feel it just feel it feel it feel it and um he actually recorded, this was all, he recorded it thinking that, you know, um, these are going to be the last words he ever hears me say. And so we've actually listened to this back in, in, in the recording and it's just chilling to sort of hear me 
telling him what to do. And to listen to it, you think, what am I actually telling him? I'm not really giving him instructions in the physical, but it was all going on on the, you know, on a telepathic sort of astral level. I'm communicating to his higher self to tell me what to do Ooh. to keep me in my body. And this is so huge. You know, this is this is this is the choice that we are presented with daily. Yeah. Do I believe what I'm seeing and what I know or do I believe what I'm feeling, you know, and there and we have a choice. Yeah. We have that choice. Oh, it's just huge. It's huge, you know, like like to go with that choice of um, this feels right, you know, rather than logic, like I should be, everyone's telling me to. Um, this is what everybody else does. This is what I see, how it works in the world, but what I feel. So with the whole treatment and it was like coming to a, like the whole story is, is making that choice of going yeah. with, I mean, you can call it feminine over masculine or intuitive over logic, you know, whatever, but making that choice in that moment. But this is like this crescendo yeah. um, <laughs> part of the story where it was like it was amplified to the nth degree of that choice that choice of um, listening to the heart over the head you know it's another way people explain it um, exactly very much so yeah, yeah. and it, it was it was such a crescendo and it was it was just for me it was just total evidence that we 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 have the the choice you know in everything and and it was such a deeply personal thing for me to go and, and say, it's okay for me to make my demands. And, and it wasn't actually, none of the outcomes were important. I was not attached to any outcome whatsoever in the yeah. things that I was asking me to do. Um, I even knew that if I had to get in an ambulance and go in an ambulance, I would do it. But it, it so it wasn't, I, I didn't care what happened just so long as he, I, my needs were, were listened to and, and my needs were met. And um, so for, for me, it was a lesson about putting myself first, knowing that it's okay to be demanding sometimes. And yeah. that's, that's, you know, it was, it was a life, a life um, changing, life changing moment. It really was. And, and I, I was so in love with myself after that. <laughs> Okay, so kind of this went on for a while, this, you know, being in the gold energy and, and here, but it was kind of like you were dancing between worlds, like your, yeah. your NDE wasn't like you left this world to go to another one. It was kind of like you were bringing the energy of the two, like colliding, like two worlds colliding, Yeah, like all being meshed and like decisions and third dimensional thinking and fourth and fifth dimensional thinking. It was just... Yeah, wow, what an amazing experience. So how did you come out of it to know that to appease your father who's wanting to call the ambulance and everyone knew that what, what was the sort of outcome of... Um... It, was, it was after I, it, it, I, I... I believe that it was after um, I, I actually directed Nick and, and got him to bring my energy and sort of really anchor it in my body. And, I, and, and after that, I didn't have that experience of, of going out of my body again you felt more um, more present yeah, in this yeah I, and I started to to be more physical I was talking again yeah. I was still really weak and it took four days to right. get to the point where I, I got out of bed and and started to sort of do things around the house and um and 
yeah, it was um, it was a huge it was a huge process to go through. So mm. yeah, I, I I had another it, it, the next I I had a similar sort of thing a couple of nights later where again I I felt that there was a, a that life force you know it was it was potentially leaving my body again mm-hmm. and a lot of fear came up and. Um, and, and so I sort of had a bit of another moment like that, but it wasn't anywhere near as big. But in, in fact, in that moment, um, I, I had a really strong sense that um, I, I could, again, it's hard to explain, but I started to, to feel like, okay, what do I need to do to keep my life force back in my body? And I felt that this was a test for me, again, to, um, to do it myself. So I, I felt that okay, I've I've now learned the importance of asking for help and 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 expecting that my demands and my needs can be met and putting myself first. Now I need to be able to um, do it for myself as well. And so it was a slightly different, um, you know, vibration. It was a, a sort of a different end of the vibration, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. In 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 discovering this this um self-love and self-nurture self-nurture it's really interesting when i as i hear you you know having spoken to a lot of um uh, astral travelers and and people who do ayahuasca and you know if you're not given a disease diagnosis if you're not given a terminal illness life-threatening diagnosis leaving your body doesn't seem to be a problem. It's like, wow, I'm going to leave my body and go on a a bit of an adventure. There is no thought that I won't come back. But under the guise of a diagnosis, you think, if I leave, I won't come back. And that choice of being here or not being here is present in this reality and in others. You know, if you speak to a lot of NDEs, as I have and you have, you know that they can make that choice even outside the body. It's like, I'm going back. Even when the body's completely shut down and dead, they yeah. go, I'm going back. And then their body regenerates quite miraculously, like Anita Morjani and many who have been completely, you know, carked it, cacked yeah. it. Yeah. So it's interesting that, that you talk about it like, I'm not leaving my body, I'm not leaving my body, because it, it felt like if I do, I won't come back. Yeah. 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 And and certainly that the, the the first one, you know, I was very physically ill. You know, there there was something very physically weak, and and so certainly I think that there was that potential for me to, to you know, I don't know, I, I don't know. Had I not come back, what would what would they have said that killed me? I really don't know. I'm not sure what, you know. I I Mick thought I had a stroke. Um, he thought I might have had, when he rang mum and dad, he said, I think she's had some sort of a stroke. And and that was what I was even thinking at first because I, I was aware of the fact that I didn't know if I could get my body to do what I was, you know, wanting it to do. So maybe there was was some sort of element of that, but, you know, I'll never know. It doesn't really matter. But um, Again, it's really interesting to hear talk about what is it that made you die like i think that again the allopathic model or the third dimensional model is that in order to die something has to take you out like some sort of disease or heart attack or you know embolism or something um instead of what did they die of they chose to leave yeah (laughs) you know again coming down to this choice it's like 
I'm done. I'm going to leave my body. Bye. You know, you hear gurus doing that. Like, That's right. Yeah. He did that when he was 57, I think. He just said to all his disciples, I'm going soon. I'll be gone by tonight. So Sal, tell me what you want. And then he just went into meditation and left. But why yeah. do you have to be a guru to have that choice? I think we all have that choice. We just don't know we have that choice. Yeah. 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 Well, Exactly, and and I definitely had that choice, and and I used my free will to come back, and and I knew from then on that if I was if I was meant to go, I would have gone. So, yeah. So when you had the second one, the self nurture, what was happening? It was the same sort of idea. You felt like you were leaving your body, and you just used your will to sort of stay here. Is that yeah, what but but I I also what was significant for me was that I, I started to to pray to angels. I started to say, sort of pray for help to, to keep me here. I do and, that every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, and so do I. You know, I, I often pray to angels or, you know, getting a car spot to all sorts of things. But I was like in deep, you know, deeply sort of really connecting to them to say, I need your help here. And then it it dawned on me that I wasn't praying to source or God or, and I thought I don't really have a, a real connection to God, you know, whatever word you want to use. But I was, I was thinking, I don't feel a deep connection to God. I, I don't have that sense of, of a presence of God. And so it was no sooner did that dawn on me that, in the same moment, this wave of realization came flooding through me that I am God. Yes. And and I was, it was so profound. I, I have no words to articulate it, but I knew in that moment that I was God. And I burst into tears. I was sobbing my eyes out, going, <laughs> I am God. Oh, God. I am God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is like when you think, if ever there was a moment I was going to be carted off to the to the psych ward, that would probably have been it had anyone heard me. And you know, and like we all laugh about it now. We still call it, you know, Mummy's I am God moment. But I was sitting there just going, Oh my God, I am God. And it really oh, the whole Catherine. connection of, of, of all of us being one and, and you know, I'm the universe and the universe is in me, it made total and utter sense. So and it wasn't just lip service because you've read books, you've heard people in hypnotherapy, <laughs> you've heard speakers say it, you know, a billion times, but you had this visceral experience of it and that's yeah. when you kind of got it. It's like yeah. you do it for the first time. Oh, my God, I am yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had this chat with my mob the other night. We were, I don't know, we talk all the time. I can't even tell you when it was. I feel like I was in bed, so I don't know if it was in the morning or night talking about this and I'm talking about when people pray to God, who are they praying to? And my guides were showing me that they're praying to their higher self, that yeah. the God of their understanding, even the person that has got no conscious awareness, they've maybe just have some religious upbringing and they think of some sort of God or, and they said, well, imagine the God of creating of all that is, is like the ocean. It's so, it's so huge, but it's not really concerned about your personal desires. But yeah. who is concerned is your higher self. And that higher self is an aspect of the all that is personally concerned with the 
tiny minute aspect of it yeah. whereas the all of the all is not concerned and so the all of the yeah. all breaks itself into a million trillion quadrillion pieces that has this personal focus on us is this making sense this is what they were yabbering on in my ear the other night when i was saying when people pray to god who are they praying to i asked these silly questions and they were showing me this and so you're just demonstrating what they were telling me the other night in bed it's like their god of their understanding is really their higher self which is yeah. a combination of all their lifetimes and experiences in multiple dimensions and realities and it is the god of our understanding yeah. Is that making sense? Yeah. I mean, that, that classic, you know, visual that you see of, of the, the drop of the ocean, um, you know, that's how I perceive myself, you know, as, a, as I am a drop of the ocean. And, and it, on, a, on one sense, I'm, I'm it, yeah, there's nothing personal. You know, it's just energy and everything that, that, that comes in and out of our life and all the things that happen, it's not personal. It's all just, the, you know, the... the the wave of energy that we are part of and that mm. that is us and yet you know if you if you do pull out a drop out of that ocean and and you know just want to put all your focus on that that one drop that is that that for me that is like you say my higher self that has this existence that that you know doesn't end that goes on and on and, and is immortal and um and at that and in, and in this moment you know this is my experience that there's there's just so much more. There's so much more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, darling, what a wild ride you have been on. It's been a, wow, life-changing. So, so I know Catherine because we've chatted on the show a few years ago and then I went up and spoke at one of your conferences and I've been watching the work that you were doing. But then, I don't know, how long ago was it? Was it this year or last year? We bumped into each other and you looked completely different and that's when you told me that you'd had the cancer diagnosis but you looked about half the size of you it's like you'd been become a vegan and you'd been fasting and so you'd completely shrunk down to half the person and I looked at you and go oh my god what's happened to you and you told me that you had the cancer diagnosis so it's so beautiful to hear the story the you know what's been going on for the last 18 months because you've been on this wild ride as they say and I guess that all that you have known intellectually has really dropped into your experience as, as a knowing, as, a, as something that you live now, not just think about. Totally, yeah. And, and, and in fact, when I did bump into you, that was not that long after. And, um, right. Yeah, and I, and I had, and I've been through like, you know, through that phase, I, I really refer to that period now as the, the dark winter of my of my healing journey because I had, um, you know, I was going through, you know, going through a tough time um, just in many ways. I, I, it was just not long before that, that, that experience, that NDE or whatever you want to call it, um, where I'd had uh, been told by a woman that I, I had believed to be a natural healer. Someone had said, oh, you need to speak to this woman. She's, she's um, you know, she specialises in, in natural healing and she's a cancer coach. And um, so I, I spoke to her thinking that she was going to be on board. But like a lot of people that are sort of so-called natural healers, she still advised me to have the mastectomy. Mm -hmm. um, and what was shocking about the phone call with her is that um, 
unlike the doctor who hadn't really sort of given me a, a time, um, you know, although she sort of hinted that if I didn't have the, the mastectomy and, and at one point she sort of said if I didn't have it, you know, urgently that, you know, I could be potentially leaving my son without his mother. But, you know, I didn't get that sort of like, oh, well, you have two years to live or that sort of thing. But this woman said to me, well, if you have a double mastectomy, you'll probably give yourself five years. At least you'll give yourself five years. And if you don't do the mastectomy, well, then you better go home, you know, write out some lovely letters of, of things that you want to say, you, you know, what it, say your goodbyes to, to Mick and Taz and, you know, plan your funeral, make sure your will's up to date. And, you know, um, so I, I remember hanging up that phone call from her been in absolute shock because prior to that I really hadn't thought that I would die. I thought that I would get through this and it was going to be a challenge. But to hear that come out of her mouth and she was just sort of, you know, a bit of a, an expert, um, you know, that was that really threw me down into a, a really um, dark patch. And Ooh, yeah, the expert, and the experts like yeah, yeah. You know, as a self empowerment teacher. I would never call myself an expert on anything because I really believe the expert is the, is you like yeah. you're the expert in your life. Like forget the experts, yeah. <laughs> be the expert in your life, your higher self. I remember when I was young doing this mantra thinking, I only want to know what God knows or my higher self knows. I don't care what anybody here on earth knows. I want to know what my higher self. And interestingly enough, the work that you do with your hypnotherapy is that you do that. You go, you know, you take the person, the conscious, you know, the consciousness of the person to the subconscious and the um, higher self's consciousness and you speak to that part of them. That's, that's the work that you do. So that's the, that's the, that's the only expert in your life. These people that call themselves experts. Makes I know. And, and as you're telling, as you're some, hearing someone a death sentence, you know, yeah. it's so bad. And it's, a, it's the absolute um, antithesis of, of what we should be telling people. We should be telling people that they can do anything, that they can, their body can heal. And, you know, this is why I... I, I want to I just address this because as, as you tell me about this, this experience you had, this relationship with her... She was all a part of that, um, the play, the cosmic play to get you really in touch with your inner knowing, you know, that someone that you put your faith in and trust in and telling you something that your inner self felt, it felt so wrong and you were, you know, the fact that you were shocked that she was. Yeah. So she played her part in the, in the play, you know. She exactly. played her, so bless her for that because she kind of put you more in touch with your inner, inner knowing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I and I did. And she wasn't a doctor, you know. She was a natural therapist. That's so, right. And right. I did. I did quite a bit of tapping on on that on that particular phone call, yeah. and got to the point where I, I I I completely saw her her role as a teacher in in yeah. helping me to reject what other people say and just to exactly. look into myself and um you know and this is the the healing the the healing journey you know I used to really not like that that word the journey because it, to me it felt like such a cliche but it is a journey yeah. it really is a true journey because what I've now realized is that when you just surrender to your to your innate you know healing wisdom yeah. and trust that your body's doing what it's meant to do 
And the, the way that I, I visualise it is like a, um, you know when your printer goes into an automatic maintenance and it just goes through all the parts and it just does the maintenance. That's how I feel about about my body now. I just have got to the point where if I feel a, a pain, um, I learned a lot about German New Medicine along the way and that really helped me as well because I discovered that everything that goes on in our body is is designed to do what it's doing. And so even if you felt a pain or, um, you know, a symptom in, and, and knowing that just it's like the print, the printer maintenance, just going through part Absolutely. by part, making all those weird noises and you just trust that the maintenance is going to happen and then the printer will start to print. And that's how I feel about my body is just going through maintenance and whatever aches and pains and tweaks is, is, is doing what exactly what it's designed to do. Um, and then on a bigger scale, trusting that what I saw over and over and over again with consistency is the signs that I got that I'm on the right path. Mm -hmm. um, the messages that came to me in different forms, um, whether that was having people say the same thing on the same day in three different conversations and you go, okay, I'm, I'm hearing you, thank you. Yeah. Or whether it was in Egypt in Sekhmet's chamber and, and the message that came very, very strongly was, this this is just this process is just purification for you right. um and so i'd get healers healers would literally turn up and and i have had amazing healers that i've worked with so that on a on a you know an, a multi-dimensional level i'm getting healing and i never had to go out there seeking healers they would they would find me and this is where the the journey is a journey of trusting and knowing that if you're meant to be here and you choose to be here, then you'll be supported. I feel so supported by the universe and yeah. and and that's that's the the thing. I can't sit here and say, okay, and, and people now cling to my my words and, and my advice and I can't sit here and prescribe that they do X, Y, and Z. All I can exactly. say is um, educate yourself, trust that your body can heal. Let your body be as clean and detox as possible. Go to the root of all your emotions and, and heal your wounds and, and, and get resolution about the things that you haven't got resolved yet in your life. And, um, you know, do all of the, the energetic and, and emotional work. Do all the physical work. But that will look very different to me than it might do to someone else because we're all on our own, um, we are all on our own journey. So I can certainly help point people in directions but they will go through their process and that's what is beautiful and perfect about it for everyone because, you know, you read all the stories about someone that, um, you know, I read a story about a guy, a guy that just um, took colloidal silver. That's all he did. He was very you know, living in a really low socioeconomic sort of part of America. He, he you know, didn't eat well. He, I think he lived in a carrot, you know, in a trailer. He was one of those sorts of people. Um, didn't have any money. Wasn't very well educated about natural healing. But somehow someone got him a colloidal silver maker. He made his own colloidal silver and he drank colloidal silver he went back, you know, two months after his, his expiration date and all the cancer was gone. 
And so, you know, we all read these sorts of supposed miracle stories of, of things that people do to heal and, and people want to cling on to that. You know, I took turpentine for a while because there's a lot of stories of people healing on, on 100% um, pure um, gum turps. And, you know, I was taking turps for a while. So, and again, you hear stories of this, that, you know, the old craggy man that's like, you know, drink, knocks back his turps every day and the cancer's gone. But what those stories never tell you is what, what went on for that person on a multi-dimensional level? Where did they make peace with themselves or their, their, um, their, you know, their wounds? Where did they connect to the source, you know, to their higher self? That all goes on inside. It's all the inner work that is important. And so no matter what it is that you do on the physical, there's nothing more important than you doing the inner work. And there's no right way to do that. That will be very different to me, for me to do, compared to that guy living in the trailer park, you know. Exactly. But exactly. it happened for him because he was still still living to tell the tale. Yeah. Because, so. you know, I had a conversation about healing last week with Joe Figuiano and, um, you know, we were talking about all all diseases incurable in that to cure it, you have to go within. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> incurable. Uh, look, I had a cancer diagnosis when I was in my 30s, but I was already studying deliberate creation, doing healing and stuff, and I knew that I was miserable. I was miserable in my work. I had a shop. I left my husband. I was miserable, and I knew that all I had to do was to shift my vibration. I had to stop being miserable and, and start you know, feeling better about myself, loving myself more, feeling more self-empowered. And and it totally went, you know, and then the next pap smear I had, there was no sign of cancer cells. So recently you've had the tests and they've all come back completely clear and you are cancer free according mm -hmm. to the telepathic model. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, it's just, um, it's, you know, it's just a great relief. It's a, it's a really good relief to, um get that that confirmation and and just get just totally allow any niggling fear that comes up because you know i'm I'm super aware of my body now and and i I think that i I feel every single little you know twinge and and you know I won't lie there's a part of me that has days where not so much now that I that I have got the the confirmation, and that's the good part. It does give you that. Um, for me, it's given me a peace of mind. And I know some women that say I'm never going to have a test. You know, what what do I, I don't want to go looking for something. Um, I'm just going to trust that my body. And and I I did that. You know, I I went through those phases, um, but I started having a lot of. Um, uh, pain and inflammation in my stomach and I, I really did start to fear that I had it I might have stomach cancer or pancreatic cancer or something like that um, and so I decided to go and have the test and of course it was all clear um, so you know I, I think that you, you, your mind you know still getting yourself out of the way my mind still could create fear without a doubt and I had some really really terrible anxiety um, at, at moments where I could feel pain and think, oh, my God, is that cancer there? Is it cancer there? Mm -hmm. And then I'd sort of like can't bring myself back to my centre again and, okay, well, 
if it is cancer, what am I going to do? Like, I'm still going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to trust that my body's moving through that process and just correcting itself and healing itself. And what did you call you know, the printer? Just a ma- just the maintenance. Yeah. 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 So, but I, I, I have to say that now going and having that full body scan and knowing that it's not in either breast and, you know, the oncologist said that within a year um, the, the cancer would be in the other breast and um, it's not in either breast, it's not in, my, in, in any of my organs. It does give a peace of mind and, it, and if, if nothing else, it's good for all my, my family and my friends. Um, yeah, all the people that are worrying that yeah. don't understand this conversation. Exactly. Yeah. They, they are the ones that want that concrete proof that says, okay, I'm, I'm free of cancer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, Mick and, and Taz, they never wavered in um, believing that I was doing the right thing and that's what's so good. I feel really sorry for people that maybe their partner thinks that they're doing the wrong thing. Um, mm. I, I'm so blessed that I had both, you know, my partner and my son were like didn't they wouldn't have contemplated anything else and in fact when when I picked Taz up from school and I told him you know I said I've got I hadn't told him that I was going to go and get a test um just in case it wasn't you know it wasn't what I what I was hoping for um but when I picked him up and I said you know guess what I said mummy had a test and checked to see if there's any cancer and I have no cancer and he just looked at me and he went yeah, I know. Afternoon <laughs> tea, you know, like of course he knew. Oh, yeah, cotton yeah. socks. To... I'm thinking, why did I go and pay hundreds of dollars to have this? <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, oh, darling, what a beautiful story. It's been so gorgeous to hear a story and to know what's been going on for the last eighteen months because I've been thinking about you and wondering. So now I know. <laughs> So, yeah, well, I, I have gone into my own bubble, and um, yeah, you've got to do you know, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm coming out now. I'm sort of poking my head out again into the world and self nurture, self nurture, especially when you're looking after all these crazy speakers putting on all these conferences. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I'm dealing with people on the show all the time, so I know what it's like when you're dealing with a lot of people. It doesn't matter how enlightened they think they are. We're all still, you know, running our egos. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're all still human. We're all still yeah, human. Right? Yeah. Yeah. What about me? What about me? What's in it for me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, any last messages you'd like to leave for people listening to this? Love yourself, love yourself, love yourself, love yourself. Yeah. Look, my, my message is... Um, First of all, you know, act like, just treat yourself like you have cancer. You know, treat yourself like yeah. you have cancer because with one in, one in three women, one in two men um, getting a cancer diagnosis, um, the, the chances are that <laughs> you might get that diagnosis. So the best thing is to not get the diagnosis, you know. Get rid of all, all the chemicals in your life. Go organic. Um, I'm a great believer that vegan has, has cleaned up my body, cleaned up, you know, there's just, it, look, I, I wanted to be vegan. I, I ethically um, believed in, in not eating meat for a long time since my, my animal, um, you know, um, when I was in a, an animal a, a, a 
Oh, lost the Activism. word now. Activist. Yes, animal activist. Um, years ago, in my early twenties. Um, but I, I, I could not. I still found it hard to to give up meat, and I never was a great big meat eater. Um, but you know, I think that again now for for my health reasons that pushed me into going choosing a vegan lifestyle mm -hmm. and i know that you know meat contains a, a lot of um, methionine and that's that's can that fuels cancer so just from a pure health point of view to suddenly cut down on the meat consumption is really good for your health well you know i don't condone anything really i never say um do or don't but if you look at industry and you look at what has to happen to animals in order to feed billions of mouths. Yeah. It's just a not, it's not a healthy industry. You well, know, it's not sustainable. The meat and the dairy, it's not sustainable and it's full of drugs, it's full of antibiotics. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just not sustainable. It's just yeah. our practices on this planet. And, and then when you look at vibration, because I don't think eating meat or not eating meat is good or bad, but... It depends what you want to do with your life and what sort of vibration you want to carry. Yes. And so it's not that eating meat per se is a bad vibration, but the industry that meat is involved in is a bad vibration because it's not sustainable for the planet. It's not healthy for the animals. The animals get tortured. And so there's a vibration around the industry that yes. when you indulge in it, you're, you're giving that vibration to your body. So if you're a, someone that wants to have a higher vibration, if you're on an ascension path, then maybe choosing that industry is not um, congruent with what you're trying to do. But, yeah. you know, there are people like my daughter lives on a sustainable property with two people who grow their own meat and veggies and he's like a super um, sustainable, like freaked out. He doesn't let any plastic or anything into his farm. He takes all the jars and fills everything up at the co-op. Like he's just super, he's a bit yeah. less obsessively sustainable. But they don't have any problem with killing their own goats or pigs or and eating that. And maybe the vibration of that meat's different. So absolutely, um, I yeah. agree with that. You know, I don't. Um, I think, as you say, it's the industry and the fear, um, the fear vibration. You know, yeah. what are you putting into your body? Are you putting. I kind of think of it now. What are you putting into your body? Is it something that's living, um, or or something that's dead? You know, and. I, I really got a sense of that with food, that we are what we eat. And um, the, the, the way that food is treated, the animals are treated as such a commodity and, um, it, you know, we're just eating, people are consuming way too much protein, way too much meat. You know, when I think back to when we were kids, we'd have a chicken once a week and mm. um, now people are having chicken for you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner almost. Everything's about protein, protein, protein. We're getting way too much protein, um, which is setting up our body in a state of acidosis. And, yeah, vibrationally, you know, I'm, I'm blessing my food now. There's, um, you know, again, going back to some of those old things that my parents used to do, we used to sit there and, and say grace every night. Mm. Um, and maybe there's something for that because my parents, you know, are still alive, you know, and kicking on no cancer or anything like that. And they still sit there and say grace every night. And yeah. I've actually been doing that because of my rebellious streak and I thought it was too religious many, many years ago. Yeah. And here I've come, done a full circle, and now I'm sitting here open-eyed blessing, blessing my food yeah. um, before I eat it. And I'm hearing about people that, 
are healing all sorts of gut complaints and issues simply by blessing their food and being really conscious. And this is when I come back to the, the, the phrase health consciousness. When you get to the point where your own healing is, is helping to heal the planet and healing humanity, that is for me what health consciousness is about. Mm. And so we can't keep, as this, we can't sustain the, um, the, the meat industry and, and big food the biggest threat to humanity is is our food that um, that we're consuming at the yeah. moment, and so something drastic has to change about the, what we're consuming. Well, what's really interesting is I have a girlfriend who's a complete atheist, and she loves knocking me and telling me, you know, everything I do is rubbish and bullshit and everything. She's a food critic, right? And um, we were at a function recently, and somebody said to her, "So, what's uh, trending in the food world, Steph?" And she said, um, Japanese ingredients and veganism. And it really was amazing coming from uh, someone who's completely not conscious at all, who in the, in the fact that everything I talk about and do and, and anything that, you know, who's anyone like me is all bullshit and crap. She comes from, her father was a doctor and she comes from this sort of scientific background. And to say that veganism is trending, it's really showing how consciousness is shifting in the mainstream yeah that's good it's really good interesting yeah so there are shops and restaurants you know popping up everywhere i went to the vegan market you have to come with me to the vegan market yeah i love that it's at fox studios they moved it they've moved it a few times finding a new home and it was fantastic it was huge there was music oh my god it was fabulous it was just at fox studios here it was just fantastic yeah veganism's on the rise and and as you say it has to be for the sustainability of um humans on this planet have something has to drastically shift exactly and and that was another thing that came to me about about through my purification process in getting cancer it did it got me out of all my bad habits and (laughs) yeah so i loved your message treat yourself as if you have cancer yeah exactly that's a great now just do it do it now make all the changes that you would make why wait and yeah and why wait you don't have to worry and and the second thing is if you do get the diagnosis just you know i I wish that i could take all the fear away if anything Uh. i'm don't buy into the fear well that's what these conversations are doing and just like when you watch that um documentary the more stories you heal uh, hear of people healing yeah through their own in inner work and and um and life choices yeah and the more you trust you know the more you can trust that process within and not get swept up in the fear yeah exactly but what you said you know treat yourself like you have cancer and you said at the beginning of this you know, cancer gives you the opportunity to have time out without anyone yeah. complaining. So <laughs> you just look at you, you just go inward and you can just focus on yourself and not have to think about anything else. You don't have to think about paying bills or looking after anybody because you're all your focus is on you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like for that time of healing, yeah, until you can feel strong again. And exactly. Your cup runneth over so that that overflow nurtures the people around you, not not the half empty cup that you're trying to nurture everyone else with. Exactly. Nurturing from the overflow. Yep. That's right. Because you just put yourself first and you make healing a priority and, and you get the, the opportunity to, to, you know, go offline, you know, switch off. We, we now switch off the, 
there's you know we're not sitting in a wave of EMF every night and sleeping in that and and so you know have acupuncture infrared saunas go in the bush you know yeah connect with nature connect with nature really really big important thing Mm. um all the things salt baths you know every night I'd I'd um, put Epsom salt and and lie back in the bath and listen to cry on and that was that was my <laughs> little thing and it was beautiful you know yeah, yeah. and um you know we just don't do that sort of thing enough so yeah treat yourself like you have cancer and then you don't need to worry oh darn thank you so much <laughs> being such a beautiful message today i hope people are getting as much out of it as i have so Thanks so much for sharing your journey. And for people who want to know more about you, I just looked at your um, hillside hypnotherapist. No, just katherinehand.com.au. Right, katherinehand.com.au. And, of course, you've got the Cosmic Consciousness. Uh, Do you want to plug any of those? Um, Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, you know, this is, for me, this is such a big part, a big important part of, of, of me and my own evolution and, and stepping into my cosmic consciousness. I had some all sorts of interdimensional healing throughout this process and, and really deeply connected to that more sort of, um, you know, galactic cosmic world out there that, that, um, that exists around us. So, you know, as everything is so divinely, beautifully orchestrated, this has opened me up to so much. And so, for me now, moving into the, the Afterlife Explorers Conference and, and Cosmic Consciousness Conference, it's just a, another part of my journey. And this is how, you know, at, as Mick and I evolve, so do our conferences. And um, exactly. so we've got the Cosmic Consciousness Conference coming up in Uluru, which will be amazing because it is. It's about people reaching that, that 5D and, and living and thriving and getting out really became so abundantly clear to me that this way of healing is the 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 new paradigm of healing and like you say the old 3d paradigm is going and and that you know thank god the 3d is you know fear-based yeah and uh 4d is more trust-based and 5d is more uh knowing-based yeah it's like you you know like i think that we as as human beings have been like as conscious human beings have been living in 4d where you go buy into the fear and then you go into the trust yeah and, and but the 5d consciousness is the knowing so someone give you a cancer diagnosis you go oh great that's so cool because yeah. you know that you're completely at choice here you know and yeah. so there's no fear available you know byron katie is someone who lives on this planet inside that knowing She's been diagnosed with cancer. She's been, she went blind. And all, through all of her trials and tribulations, she said, gee, it was fun. It was such a fascinating... I'd never had cancer before, hadn't been blind before. She sees life as this fun journey of experience and doesn't buy into the fear. You know, and her... I do the work with, I, with my clients. Is they, her work is just not believing your stressful thoughts. Yeah. And so when you don't believe your stressful thoughts, now you're at choice. Yeah to um to live the life you want so i think you've been given that message big time with this cancer loud and clear loud and clear my my mantra now is this this too shall pass you know that became so significant and um and and that to me is the that's the medicine that is the medicine you know byron katie um um 
I, I would often hear myself, you know, saying, don't, don't believe these thoughts, you know. Yeah. All of our suffering, all of our suffering is because we believe our own thoughts. Just thoughts, exactly. And um, that would get me through those dark moments. Yeah. And, um, and, yeah, this too shall pass. Yeah. Just knowing that whatever happens, even if it is that I've got to leave and um, then it will, that will pass and... Yeah. Well, exactly exactly don't be scared of death and um so are you you've changed your personal practice now are you still doing the clinical hypnotherapy or are you being being more of a counselor like what what's happening yeah um i would or both i i both you know i'm still yeah. doing I'm, I'm doing a lot of my past life and life between life work i'm not scared you know i used to be scared of, of seeing cancer patients before well right. bring it on now you know bring it on yeah yeah um i i'm of course i'm a, a massive advocate for eft in in helping people deal with their emotional the emotional healing part of their journey um so yeah i mean i look you just you just adding a few bows yeah, yeah. Um, strings to your bow yeah uh, <laughs> all right beautiful Oh, thanks again, darling. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Wow, another powerful story Catherine has on her healing journey. Oh, the power of choice. There's just a choice, making that choice to listen to your inner knowing, to listen to how good you feel, how it feels, how it feels. Does it feel good to go this way or does it feel good to go that way? I think we're given that choice in every moment of the day, you know, to, to choose the better feeling. It might, maybe you had the choice is two bad feelings, but just which feels slightly better, <laughs> which feels better to choose that better feeling, even amongst the noise of the third dimensional paradigm, everyone's screaming about what you should do with your life and what feels better. We're given that choice a lot, aren't we? I had a session with a boy years ago and I was a masseur, I massaged his mother and he was really sick in hospital. He had um, been in a bike or car accident, smashed up all his bones, but he'd got sepsis in the hospital. He was like about six foot three or two. He was a very tall young man. I think he weighed about 38 kilos, which is nothing, let me tell you. It's just like what a child weighs. And uh, so he's a very sick young man. And the conversation I had with him or my higher self had with him was just about making that choice to be here or die because he was dying. And then he was given a choice, you know, you can stay if you want. And inside that choice, he started healing. Although the nurses said to me, what did you do to him? What did you do to him? And I said to them, to their understanding, I did some Reiki and, you know, gave him a bit of a massage. But really he made a choice. So the power of choice, it's, it's powerful. Thanks again for watching another show, Accentuating the Positive. So great to be with you again. And I look forward to being with you another time. I'm not going to remind you about what we've got going on, you know, buy the book, Awakened by Death, join the Inner Sanctum, come and have some sessions if you want to be more of a powerful, deliberate creator of your reality. All those options are available. Go to the website, karenswain.com. You'll see them all there and uh, all the past shows. Or not all of them. I haven't actually uploaded all of them because I've been doing the show for quite a while. But you'll see the most recent ones over the past five or six years. So love you all. Thanks again for watching. Bye for now. I was looking for I was looking